Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Let's cut to the chase. In our world, in 21st century America, this is one of the more uncomfortable passages in the New Testament, even for believers, even for Christians. In a post-slavery, post-segregation society where feminism is still strong, this passage contains two fiery words, two emotionally laid loaded words, submit and slavery. Now, because this passage and others like it, Paul, follower of Jesus who wrote this letter, has been labeled a misogynist, a chauvinist, a sellout to his culture, one who endorsed a vile and inhumane institution. Therefore, many ignore this passage, dismiss it not only as irrelevant, but wrong. Now, others more sensitive to the issue of scriptural authority don't dismiss it as wrong. They read it and they wrestle with it, determining that Paul is simply locked in his culture, that Paul is describing how relationships were in his culture. Views on relationships change. Understandings of relationships change. Therefore, as Christians, we're not, we're not locked into this passage. Although approaching this passage from different angles using different methods, both of these views that I just described end up, in effect, taking scissors and cutting this passage out of the Bible. Well, what are we to do? If I say we should agree, then this is a very short sermon and we can all go early. But I don't. This is the word of God. The scriptures are our authority in faith and life. Paul was inspired by the spirit of the living God to write this letter. So we can't cut it out. We can't say it's wrong. We can't dismiss it as cultural. Now beware of dismissing things in scripture as simply being cultural. As in interpreting something as that was how things were done in their culture and it does not apply to us today. This is a, this is a dangerous road to travel down. Because the issue is this, where do you draw the line? It's one thing to say that submission was a cultural expectation in marriage, but what about marriage itself? Is marriage between a man and a woman simply a cultural construction? Well, of course not. But my point is, if you interpret something as simply cultural in one place, what prevents that same argument in any other place? And who, who draws the line? Well, this is God's word. And it's spoken to us, God's people, called by Jesus, saved by Jesus. We're under its authority, even if it has emotionally charged words. So let us examine it with humility and with love for our faithful father. Now, this passage is what was known as a household 
code or a household teaching. The home, the family, was the most important institution in ancient Greek and Roman society. Homes were not simply made up of parents and children. Homes were made of the father, who was unquestionably the head of the household. Mother and children, including grown married children, and finally slaves, domestic servants. Well, leaders in Greek and Roman society were always concerned about the breakdown of the family. They recognized that strong families made for strong societies. Even philosophers would spend time discussing domestic life. They would write about the proper manner in which households should function, the proper ordering of a household. The great Greek philosopher Aristotle wrote on the household, he said that there were three primary, three essential relationships in the home, husband and wife, Father and children, master and slave. Just like our passage today, which flows out of Paul's discussion on new life in Jesus. Now, Paul describes salvation as putting on the new self. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. In chapter three, Paul writes, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Now, the immature's garments, clothing, where Jesus takes off your old self. Jesus removes the old you. He unfastens the broken, sin-sick, sin-filled, image of God-shattered you, and he places it on himself. And he wears it to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus takes on himself God's wrath for you, God's punishment due you for your sin, for your old self. He takes on death. And in exchange, he gives you his royal robes of righteousness. He gives you himself. He gives you a new self. That's the love God has for you. And it's a gift. A gift that is to be received by faith. And if you have faith in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you're new. You have a new self. And the call, the call is for you to live as that new self, to live who you are in Jesus, to live following Jesus, to live in imitation of Jesus. New life in Jesus is lived in his name. Well, here Paul shows that that new life starts at home. That new life begins at home. It begins in real relationships, primary relationships, day-to-day relationships. And it's in these primary relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, that the virtues of the Christian life, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and forgiveness are tested daily, hourly, sometimes by the minute. Well, Paul begins with the marriage relationship. He writes, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, again, in our egalitarian culture, submit is a dirty word. Submitting is seen as weak, demeaning, debased, humiliating. It's understood as as letting someone lord it over you. But this is not what the New Testament means by submit. Submit literally means order under. When you submit, you place yourself under something or someone. You voluntarily place yourself under the leadership of someone. 
So in this sense, submitting is related to humility, and humility is putting someone else first. Placing yourself under someone creates an order. It creates a particular state of arrangement. Now, in the New Testament, God's people are to submit to God and to submit out of love. The church submits to Christ, is subject to Christ out of love. Christians submit to their leaders out of love. And in the same way, on the same order, wives are to submit to their husbands. Voluntarily, freely, out of love, placing themselves under the leadership of their husbands. Now, this is, this is not a demeaning, servile relationship. It's an act of love. And the reason that Paul gives for submission is not for the good order of society. That's what all secular household codes would say. Paul says, as is fitting in the Lord. The order is fitting for those who are in Jesus. Wives are to submit to their husbands. This is the consistent teaching for the order of marriage in the New Testament. Husbands take the lead. But there is a condition for taking the lead. There's a condition for wives submitting to their husbands, and that condition is love. Well, listen to verse 19 again. Husbands, love your wives. Wives are to submit to their husbands who love them. A husband is not to exercise rights over his wife, but love his wife. Now, in, in, in Greek, there are four different words for love. There's, there's, there's one for erotic love. There's one for love exhibited in friendship. There's affectionate love as a parent might have for a child. Well, the word Paul uses here is for sacrificial love, selfless love, self-giving love, a willing to die for love, the love that Christ has for you. So in other words, husbands are supposed to love their wives like Christ loved you. Now, in, a, in another letter, the letter of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul puts it like this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands have the more demanding task. Husbands have the more challenging task to love like Christ. You see, rather than upholding the culture of the day, this was radical. This was countercultural. This was revolutionary. We're, we're, we're used to hearing talk of love in marriage, but no other household code in the ancient world says that husbands should love their wives. In Greco-Roman culture, marriage was neither based on nor built upon love. Marriage was for having children. Marriage was for producing an heir. Certainly, love developed in many marriages, but it wasn't expected. These, these words are countercultural today as well. In our culture, submission is viewed as giving up rights. Love is understood as primarily erotic. So relationships, even marriage, are based on emotion and pleasure. And when they're gone, so are you. But when you're made new, when you follow Jesus, marriage is different. It follows God's order. Wives, are you submitting to your husbands? Husbands, are you loving your wives? Are you praying for God's help to do so? Now, those of you who are not married, who, who, who may be called into marriage one day, know this order. 
Make sure your spouse-to-be knows this order and wants to live it out. Well, next, Paul turns to fathers and children. First of all, it is significant that Paul addresses children, as in small children, young children. And notice Paul addresses children first, not the father. In the Roman world, children were property of the father. In most household codes, only fathers were were addressed in regard to their children, and typically they were called to rule over their children. But Paul writes, children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Children need to obey their parents. Again, not for the well-ordering of society, but because it pleases the Lord, because it pleases Jesus. And Paul's clear, fathers are not to provoke their children to be harsh with their children. Finally, we turn to slavery. The largest part of this household code concerns slavery. Why would that be? Well, one reason may be omnissimus. And Paul writes in verse 9 of chapter 4, we didn't read that today, but in verse 9, chapter 4, he, he, he writes that he's sending to the church in Colossae Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Now, Onesimus was a Christian and he was a slave. Onesimus had spent time serving Paul while he was in prison. He'd probably run away from Colossae. He'd probably run away from his master, Philemon, who was also a follower of Jesus. Now, when when we finish our study of Colossians, we're going to spend two weeks looking at Paul's letter to Philemon, which concerns Onesimus. Well, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, and the situation was well known to those in the church because both were members of this church. And it may be for this reason that Paul spends more time on the issue of slavery than husbands and wives or fathers and children. Now, slavery in the Roman Empire was much different than what we often associate with slavery. When we hear slavery, we typically think of slavery in the antebellum South and the abuses that occurred with it. But this was much different. Now, slaves were a property, yes. Slaves were at the bottom of the social ladder, yes. But slaves were often well-treated and they had considerable freedom. But even so, Paul never endorses the practice. What he is writing about is conduct in this particular relationship that did exist in first century Rome. Well, Paul begins by saying this, slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Well, here he seems to endorse the status quo, but but Paul is actually subtly undermining it. And here's why. First of all, he addresses slaves. Slaves, obey everything, those who are your earthly masters. And no one, no one writing a household code would ever address a slave. Slaves were property. You address the master. You talk to the master on how to deal with the slaves. But Paul addresses slaves. Slaves who are a new creation. Slaves who have a new self. Slaves who are followers of Jesus. Slaves who are sitting in church with masters, worshiping God and listening to this letter that Paul read to them, of Paul read to them. Paul tells slaves to obey their earthly masters. 
but he also reminds them of their ultimate master. He writes this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving the Lord Christ. He reminds them their ultimate master is Jesus. Their real Lord is Jesus, whom they serve in their labor. Paul addresses slave owners in our final verse of the passage. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul reminds the masters that they have a master, that they too have been freed in Jesus, that they put on new selves in Jesus. Therefore, slaves and masters are one under the Lord. They share the same status under the Lord. They are freed under the Lord, made new under the Lord, sit in the same house of worship in the presence of the Lord, listen to Paul's letter together in the Lord. And with this new reality, with this new status in Jesus, how can ownership continue? How could slavery continue? The seeds are here. But as you know, it took a long time too long. But it was because of Christians that slavery was outlawed. And we don't, we don't have slavery in our society, but we have work. And this passage can apply to your work. Paul says, work with sincerity of heart, not just to be a people pleaser, but, but serving the Lord, working for the Lord Jesus. And if you are an employer, if you have those who work under you, treat them justly, treat them fair, for you have a master in heaven. In Jesus Christ, you're new. And this new status will impact your relationships. It will impact your primary relationships, your day-to-day relationships. It has to. It has to. And it may impact them in ways that are countercultural even revolutionary. But that is what Jesus does. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 